This is The Lighthouse, where we talk to entrepreneurs and visionary leaders, not just about how to survive in today's business environment, but how to thrive. My guests have become beacons within their industries. They have measurably changed the game, drawing talent and clients by the brightness of their mission. Welcome to The Lighthouse. Welcome to The Lighthouse. I am so thrilled, and probably not as thrilled as my daughter is, but uh, today we have uh, Melanie and Ross Cantor, the the founders of one of my daughter's favorite places in the entire world, and one of my f- favorite places, uh, a place h- highlighted in, in the pages of Sink or Shine, a place called Cookie Good. Um, and they're going to share their story today of turning lemons into cookies, right? Instead of <laughs> lemonade. Um, but I'm, I'm, uh, I'm thrilled to have you guys. I mean, you know, I feel like I already know you so well based on um, just having the the process of of thinking about your company and your business and highlighting, and then some of the subsequent interactions we had. But welcome to the lighthouse. How are you guys doing today? Thank We're good. You Thank so you for much, having us, Adam. We're good. So it's, uh, it's amazing. So so cookie good um, is such an understatement. Um, it is a magical. <laughs> transformational business uh, in Santa Monica, California. So if you're ever visiting, um, don't just listen to the podcast. Go and experience firsthand their amazing products. But Melanie Ross, um, why don't you talk a little bit about Cookie Good and 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 how it was born? Go for it. Well, uh, <laughs> I've always I've always loved uh, baking. I've always loved food, and I've always just kind of. I've done it since I was little, and and I grew up in a in a deli family. My my last name is Cantor, and there's Cantor's Deli in Los Angeles, and um, that was my grandfather and his brothers started it. And so I grew up as a little kid going to my grandpa's deli and just kind of sneaking behind the bakery case and just always loving it. So that was just kind of part of my literally part of my DNA, and um, and I think you know I I'm a creative person. I as a as kind of a Semi grown up, I worked in the movie business <laughs> right out of college, and um, aren't we all semi grown up? Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, are we still? Do we ever actually get to grown up? I when well, I do, I think you know. Yeah. I'm the wrong to- person to, to ask. <laughs> I, I eat Captain Crunch practically every day. So um, I just saw one of the states um, approved, you know, assisted suicide. So if I ever grow up, maybe I'll have to move there. And, like, yeah. saw that. <laughs> yeah. But. But anyway, so, you know, I, I worked in the movie business um, and I just like I, I was an executive and a producer and then a writer. And I've always just kind of been creative in that way. And I, I kind of turned that to my cooking. And and so I, I would make cookies and I would make brownies. And when I was uh, in college um, doing internships in the movie business, I started a brownie business. I'd been back east and I had this place in Faneuil Hall, I think uh, Boston Brownies. And I I had a brownie that had like Andy's mints in it. And I thought that was the craziest thing because back then all there were were either like chocolate brownies or chocolate walnut brownies, right? And I thought, wow, you can actually do something different. So I started this business out of my parents' house as I was doing these internships. And I would task myself every day to come up with five different flavors of brownie. So that like kind of chocolate thing just became a canvas and 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 a challenge really to to have fun. And I would make these brownies and I'd go to an office building in Century City and I would just, you know, kind of do a basket full of brownies and I'd sell them for a buck and I'd sell out by the end of the day. I mean, were you always, was that like, I mean, obviously coming from a family that where your name, I, by the way, I didn't know that you had any sort of connection to Canner's, Canner, you know, the deli, uh, you know, legendary deli in, in Los Angeles. Um, it's funny when I moved to Los Angeles, I'm, I'm originally a New Yorker and everyone's like, oh, you got to go to Canders. You got to go to Canders. You got it was like, <laughs> yeah. like the only place to go. So, right. but, but coming from that entrepreneur, was that in your nature from like day one? Like, were you always an entrepreneur? Cause I kind of find this to be a common theme. It's funny. I, I don't even like, we have a business. I don't think of myself as an entrepreneur. I, I, I am like, um, Again, I don't know another word to say, but like a creative, like I think of things in my head and I try to figure out how to do them and what to do with them. And like, you know, it, it it's like that, you know, it's not really like I think, oh, I want to I want to start a business. I just think, oh, I have this challenge. What am I going to do with it? I'm not going to eat five different flavors of brownies. I better sell them, you know, <laughs> so so it's it's more like that. I, I, I never really thought of myself as that kind of because. The way I, I picture entrepreneurs are people who are super like focused and aggressive, and I'm kind of you know 
not mild mannered and laid back. Well, <laughs> I'm I'm more laid back, but but I'm you know not- I think it's more, I I actually think it's the you know it's interesting. There's there's two there's two different types of entrepreneurs, right? There are those that um, that identify a gap in the marketplace and then you know go and create something to fill that gap, and then there there are those of your ilk that stumble upon something that's just magic and they test the market to see if there's an appetite for it and then and then they meet that demand in the marketplace and what's interesting though is that there's a lot of creatives that can't, that don't sell that won't sell that won't take that extra step like the where where you're the entrepreneur even though you don't want to admit it uh, cuz it's like kind of a dirty thing it's like being in sales like you need a shower love to shower after an entrepreneur that. <laughs> i think that's so cool yeah. it used to not be cool it's become yeah. increasingly cool over yeah, time exactly. when i first moved to la everybody who was coming here was coming here to be a you know a uh, an actor right. or a writer and now they're all going to they're all starting you know they're all in startups and they're right. all seeking their investment <laughs> the same round thing. but uh but it's uh it's the new in vogue thing but i think i think what What's unique is your ability to make that jump, that leap into actually selling it, right? And 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 putting it out there in the market and not worrying about rejection. Um, do you think that that was a byproduct of also being a, a, a you know a writer and with all that rejection that's in that space? Um, yeah, I, I I'm used to rejection, <laughs> um, so I not really. No, well, I mean, look, you never like it, but yeah. um, no, I, I I think so. I, I'm. I'm the kind of person, I think we're both, we both are really the kind of people who it's very hard for us to make a decision. It's, it's hard. We're not leapers. And, and so like, even as a writer for me to sit down and, and spend the time to write, like I had to get my brain into such a pickle, um, of like, okay, this is what you have to do or else you're a complete loser. And, and, you know, you have a family to support and all that stuff. So that got me in the chair to write. And then, and it's kind of like the cookies too, like, once we started doing it and we were like, okay, we, I guess we have to get out of our house because it got too big. So we rented a commercial space part-time. And then once we were in the commercial space part-time and we were doing too much and we knew that we couldn't exist there anymore, we'd either have to kind of, kind of go big or go home literally. Um, we just kind of got pushed against the wall and forced ourselves into the next step. So we're definitely the kind of people who I guess we take these steps, but it takes a lot. We have to build a lot of energy behind it to really thrust us to um, to another level. And it was the and, same with my writing. And I want to and we're I want to talk about those challenges that you face. And and um, you know I always think of this great like Yiddish saying, which is like that. My my I think my grandmother taught it to me, but it's something about like you know the best laid plans are the ones that God laughs most loudly at. Right. right. And, and, um, you know, so, so that like, oh, here's what we're going to do. And then all of a sudden, like, oh my gosh, we got to move to a bigger space or, you know, but I don't want to talk about that, but I want to talk about the evolution. So you're selling brownies um, yeah. in Faneuil Hall. Well, no, in- no. I was inspired by a brownie I had in Faneuil oh, Hall. I came okay. home and I, I actually sold them in, um, in Century City. And, gotcha. um, so while, I, while you were in, while I was interning. So I would have an, right. an internship in the, in the morning. And I would bake like a couple batches before I left. I'd come back and I'd bake a couple batches, wrap them up, and sell them in the afternoon. And you just go like office to office, like literally you would go- floor to floor. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> How many places did you get kicked out of? Um, I didn't like. They were so happy to see me. I mean, <laughs> because I I had chocolate. So yeah, no, that's, I mean, like if you're going to choose a business, like I think there's two businesses that you you know are guaranteed to be met with like open arms. Like no one's ever angry to see the florist show up at the door unless right. it's a funeral, right? Like, right. but they make you smile. They make you happy and, and, and brownies and cookies. Mm-hmm. Like, like you want to throw me out? Like, right. what do you t- like throw out the guy who's selling copiers, but don't throw the guy out selling cookies. Yeah. And so um, it was, it was really, really fun. And, and, but, but that was it like that summer. And then I graduated college and I got, you know, a, a real job in the movie business. And I did that for a long time. And I think, I always, but I, I would continue to bake at home. And then with our kids in school, they would always have a Halloween festival and there was a bake sale. And for some, you know, kind of stupid reason, I just had it in my head that I wanted to make the best cookie that would sell the most. <laughs> and um, so I just did what I thought was really, really fun, which was like, you know, it was Halloween. So I took all my favorite trick-or-treat candy and I dumped it into a cookie. And, and that was like, you know, kind of, my first real play with 
trying to take something traditional like a chocolate chip cookie and make it a little bit different. And um, so, anyway, so you, yeah, I mean, you know, you're 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 basically like you know the home chef, right? You're you're uh, you're not you you know, and you you've got a, a career and a job, and you're baking for your friends and your neighbors. Like, what makes you? What brings you to the point? Like where you say, you know, and I should probably maybe give this thing a go, like well, make this into the business. Well, I, I think we kind desperation. of desperation. It, it's de- definitely desperation, <laughs> but I think also like just like you said, like I would you know bake for friends and whatever, and people. Some of my friends would say, "Oh, can you do this for me?" And we had a, a, a decorating place that asked us to do you know a bunch of boxes, and you know we did that kind of. Um, but I think it was definitely desperation. It was the writer strike. And by the way, it, it didn't come from me. It came from, ironically, from Melanie, <laughs> who suggested, well, why don't we see what would happen if we started a cookie business? Well, can I just add something to that for a second? Yeah, please. Um, sorry. Um, he. You don't have to ask, by the way. This isn't like, you don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Um, Ross really had quite the following already, like you said, from our friends and family and neighbors and stuff, because he had been baking for years. And also he's a really good cook. So every time we had company, you know, friends and family over, he would do all the cooking and all the baking, every party we threw for the kids, every, or for us, he did everything much to my dismay only because while he was amazing at it, he's also probably the messiest, you know, cook in the kitchen. He uses every single pot and pan and he doesn't really clean up as he goes. So it became this routine where he would do all the cooking and I would do all the cleaning, which, you know, was fair, I guess, because I got off from all the cooking. But um, but it really was just like a fiasco in the kitchen and a lot of times very stressful. But um, And by the way, also expensive, right? Yeah, I mean, exactly. You know, like you're not making money when you're giving it away. Right, exactly. <laughs> but, um, but people just loved it. And so... What what happened was, and he'll tell you about the writer strike. But the strike, the writer strike happened, and it just wasn't ending. And well, I guess I'm going to tell you about the writer yeah, strike. I mean, Is that okay? There we go. So he had been writing, and he actually had a script that was just about ready to go and like actually be green lit, which is so crazy. And then the strike hit, and you're not allowed to sell anything during the strike, so we had no income. And I was home still with the kids, so I hadn't worked in years, and. I pay all the bills and try to figure out where to get the money from, you know, and there was no money and I like couldn't take it anymore. And one day I just kind of looked at him and it was a year after the strike started. It just wouldn't end. And I just said, oh my God, like I can't take it anymore. We have to do something. Yeah. And I didn't know what I could do because I had, I had been a teacher before and I just gave up that career when I had my kids and, um, you know, I was sitting around thinking, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And our friends that Christmas had asked if he could like make a bunch of cookie baskets for them to give to their agents. We have a lot of friends in the movie business with, you know, agents and managers and clients and stuff. And so we had done that. And Ross was always super creative, not only with the with what he made, but how he put it together. Like we would find really cool vases and boxes and things. And he just had a really great aesthetic. I like to call him a renaissance man. He can do a little bit of everything. and um, Lucky and, you. Yeah, I know. He even plays piano. He just doesn't clean up. He just doesn't <laughs> I, clean up. I'm I know, no, he doesn't clean yeah, up. I don't clean up. I mean, that's that's just it. proves he's, he's just proves he's just asserting himself as a man. That's uh-huh. all, you know. <laughs> exactly. But so I, uh, I said, you know what? What if we just start having you make cookies out of the house and try to sell them and you know, we'll come up with kind of an idea about what to call it and how to package it. And I don't care if people want to just give us a nickel for the cookie. Like we need income, like we need money to pay the bills. We didn't want to keep, you know, asking our parents for help. And it was just so stressful. And so it's so it's, this is like such a, you know, I mean, we've been in a booming economy for like, you know, the last decade and I'm just waiting for it to collapse. Right. I mean, I I think it's, we all know it's right around the corner. Things can't continue in perpetuity on this kind of trajectory. And um, I mean, at least I feel that way. I mean, all the fundamentals seem to look good, but um, you know, it's um, I think that, there's a lot of pain in the near future for a lot of, of you know, I'm going to call them, you know, um, people that are masquerading as entrepreneurs when the economy goes bad. A lot of them are going to find themselves out of a gig. Um, and a lot of people, you know, when you're at full employment, the, the next step is going, you know, retraction. And I think that your experience is not different than being displaced 
you know, being terminated from a position or, or, or being let go or having the company work for closed down. And, um, you know, the unique circumstances often force us to make decisions. And I mean, what an awesome, you know, what an awesome thing. I don't know if you look back, you know, gratefully at the, at the writer's strike at this point yet, <laughs> um, you know, as, as, as the, you know, the, the really, the, the, yeah, the yeah. catalyst that made it happen. You know, had, oh, sorry. No, that's right. Go ahead. <laughs> um, you know, but we, we often talk about that because we, you know, ultimately we sort of reinvented ourselves, but it was really done by accident, like in baby steps too. So we said, you know, let's just see what happens if we send an email out to a hundred friends and family locally to say like Ross is going to actually be making cookies now to sell. If you want to buy anything for gifts or whatever, we can do that for you. We didn't even send it to our friends and relatives far away because we didn't ship at the time. So we figured people could come pick them up or we could drop them off. And within three minutes of sending the email out, we got our first cookie order from a friend who lived around the corner. Our kids went to school together and she was um, wanting to send cookies to friends of hers that had just had a baby. What she didn't know is those friends were our best friends. She didn't even know that. So it was like one of those really weird, like fate things like, okay, maybe this is meant to be. And um, so we started doing it and it immediately took off because he'd already had like the built-in clientele from all the friends and family that wanted to, um, you know, buy stuff that they knew was already really good. And, um, and then they would start sending it to people who had never had Ross's stuff and then they would like it and then they'd want to send it to somebody. And it just kind of spiraled. And before we knew it, and we really thought this was going to just be until the strike ended. Well, the strike ended a week after we started doing this. Of course, of course. <laughs> of course. So then all of a sudden it's like, oh no, what do we do? So he starts going back to Starbucks to write and he'd be writing at the at, at the coffee shop and he'd get a phone call thinking it was, you know, about his script and it was somebody wanting to order cookies. So he'd call me and say, you know, turn on the ovens, I'm coming home. And, um, and he'd come home and make more dough and it just kind of, went like that. But we we always thought of it in baby steps, saying like, we're not going to bite off more than we can chew because we have no business experience, no retail experience. We don't know what the hell we're doing. We're just making- we had no business plan. Yeah, we had no business plan. Uh, business by plans way- are bullshit anyway. Yeah, yeah I, I yeah. think so too. But, by the business way- plans are for investors. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're not for business and for business owners. Okay. Well, I'm glad you said that because I-, I I was always a little bit worried about that. Like, we're not very professional. We don't, have know, we don't know how to do this. We have 15 employees, but we don't have a business. Yeah, listen, exactly. I mean, you know, and I say that, I say that with, you know, a certain grain of salt. I think when you are, when you have a true mission, I mean, that's what my book is all about, right? right. It's like when you have this guiding principle that governs who you are and what you're going to be, a lot of that other stuff is fluff. And, you know, particularly when you're a small business, you're constantly pivoting and changing and adjust. You know what I mean? Like there's... And so, you know, the plan often gets thrown out the window. And so if you, you know, you spend so much time and energy and effort building the plan, um, you know, I think that, that you, you miss building the business. Right. And, and I think that, you know, the situation ultimately becomes the boss quite often. And you certainly have to be able to run a balance sheet and have an idea of, you know, what your, your stages are going to be for expansion. Like when we do this, we're going to do this. And, you know, I, I think, I think though, a lot of times, what happens for businesses is that they forget who they are because they go down the rabbit hole of, oh, and we can do this and oh, we can do this and we can do that and we can do that. And, I, you know, I said to somebody just the other day, because we're, you know, I'm starting to build this business myself. I said, just remember that Amazon started selling books. Right. Let's focus right. on selling books. Right. You know, and then someday we'll be Amazon. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like exactly. it's, it's a, uh, and so, so I think that, I think that business plans are, you know, for business school. Okay, that's good. That that <laughs> makes me feel a lot better. <laughs> Thank you. Just have a good lawyer and a good accountant. Those are the two yeah, things exactly. I think are really important. Exactly, exactly. Which we do, luckily. But, um, and you know, by the way, just for anybody listening to this that is thinking about starting it, we literally, you know, at the time, we you weren't really allowed to have like a formal, like, cottage industry kind of cooking business out of your house in Southern California. In Northern California, you could. 
now you can at change. But so, you know, we called like all the places we needed to call to find out what we could legally do. And we talked to our accountant and he said, you're allowed to do it as long as it's sort of like a hobby for friends and family and you're making less than $30,000 a year. I think that's what it was. And so we said, okay, we've got a business license, a seller's permit. You know, we did everything by the book. We opened a bank account, started an LLC, you know, applied for all of the official stuff, came up with a name, did a, a, you know, DBA, you know, doing business as cookie good, all that stuff. Um, And we just put $5,000 in, you know, of cookie good checking account. And that's what we started with. And we just never even really had to add money to that. Like it just, it just started really small and we're like, okay, we'll do this. We'll do that. And we had no overhead because we were at home. And um, other than the ingredients, right? Mm-hmm. And it just kind of and your of mortgage and your kids, yeah, exactly. You know, your kids' new sneakers, yeah, and all of our bills. <laughs> yeah. But as far as Cookie Good was concerned, having that be separate, you know, um, yeah. was um, was easy. It was easy to just keep everything separate, and you know, we didn't expect to make a lot of money. But the great thing is, we never lost any money. Like we just kept always making it. And, um, as long as we were staying afloat and being able to like pay for everything, we were good. Yeah. And then, and then slowly after, um, you know, the strike ended and Ross actually did go back to writing and was doing all kinds of writing, but, um, would just bake in between. And then as that was happening, the demand just kept growing and growing, which finally a friend of ours came over and said, we weren't even taking credit cards, by the way, for like almost three years. We, we had people send us checks and then we started like, you know, making cookies for people we didn't know, like in Ohio and, oh, we figured out how to ship by the way. And that's kind of another funny story, but, um, we shipped and, you know, it was just word of mouth all the time. And then we, we do it. And then somebody would send us a check and we never got stiffed. It was amazing. Like strangers all over the country were ordering cookies. We would, Bake, pack, ship. It's, not, it's actually not strange at all to me because, <laughs> you know, it's so funny. So when I started, when I started writing this book, I had the idea for the book and I was, I was sitting with uh, Dana Williams, who was, you know, my co-author and, and Dana and I, you know, were business colleagues and we'd both gone through some of the similar kind of, you know, corporate environment where we, where we experienced all of this kind of crap. And, uh, and we were like, you know, what makes a great company? And we started having this conversation and I'm like, I need to bring you somewhere. And I actually brought her to Cookie Good, oh. right? And I actually, we, I, and I said, I want you to come in here. I don't want, I'm not going to set it up or anything else. I want you to come in here and I want you to explain to me what your experience is. And so we, we went in and, and we got a, a couple of the different cookies and, um, and, you know, she was immediately as taken and blown away as I was about, you know, all of the, just every aspect. And we'll talk about it in a second. But, you know, what I, we did immediately after that was we actually stood outside. And as customers came by, we asked them, like, you know, how did you find out about this place? And almost every single one of them said, somebody told me. This person told me, I stop here every week. This is my guilty pleasure. Um, they, one after another, after another, after another. It, it, and, and I think what's remarkable about Cookie Good is both what I call the time machine, um, is this, this amazing, um, you know, you guys trade in, in the return to childhood, this nostalgia. But I think that what, what's so remarkable about it is that, you know, if when you when you when you really come across something that's special, you have a tendency to want to share it with other people, right? And and I think you know, cookies are like this universal like language. You know, if you have a great bottle of wine, you want to share it with friends. Oh my god, I got this great bottle of wine. You got to try it. Um, you know, oh, I read this awesome book. You've got to read it. And um, and I think that you guys have captured that magic. So it's not surprising to me that somebody in Ohio would find out about you and say, I need. You know, a dozen cookies, and it's not surprising me that when somebody ships the next person, they then pay that 
you know, that gift forward because it's it's this like little secret that everybody needs to know about. Thank you, Adam. That's so nice. Yeah. <laughs> that's really nice. <clears throat> yeah, just that's just what happened. It just kept pay people were paying it forward exactly. And then before we knew it, we needed to be in a commercial kitchen because then we realized we were kind of being outed a little bit. You know, like we were not under the radar anymore. And um, somebody wrote an article about us on Daily Candy, which at the time was like a daily uh, like right. email blast that would go out with like the most trendy things happening in L.A. Or I think they had one for different cities. And so once that came out, we're like, oh, no, people know about us. So we found a commercial kitchen by a lucky fluke and worked with this amazing uh, woman, Kimberly Bailey, who has a her own cake business called the Butter End Cakery. And uh, she had just built um, our kitchen, brand new commercial kitchen, and was looking to rent it out in the mornings um, to make a little extra money. So we found each this other. This is a great... Well, I want you to stay there for a second because <laughs> this is a great like um, secret that I think entrepreneurs don't search for, right? They immediately right. go out and spend a bunch of money right. on furniture and fixtures and resources. And, you know, WeWork isn't the only place to go for a space that's already set up that you can pay right. for a convenience. Right. So how did you, did you, did you stumble upon that? Or did you like, go oh, okay, how can we get this for cheaper? Let me go and find somebody that has it. No, well, we were looking for commercial kitchens and we had been around um, and we'd been to some disgusting places, really, really like share kitchens and not share kitchens, but just disgusting places. And I literally you wouldn't cried make dog one day. there, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they were just like, you know, we were taking a tour of some place and it was like, it smelled terrible. And then we found out that they were making, they had rented it part-time to somebody who made like you know, hot, brownies. hot brownies and yeah. whatever. And it just, it was like, it was I just, just dated myself by saying pot brownies, but okay, go on. Yeah. But <laughs> CBD infused. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but anyway, but they, but I mean, really, really disgusting places that we thought, okay, if we're going to do this, we have to do it. And we just like, and by the way, we had to do it to get the health permit, right? Because you weren't allowed to do it out of your house. And the joke is, our house, when we first started, this was brand new and the kitchen was big and beautiful and clean. And we're very anal about that, you know? And so, some, some of us, well, some of us less. more than others, me in particular. But um, I knew that our environment was really like immaculate. And then going to these commercial kitchens, which we were now going to have the health permit and we'd have the permission from, but their, their kitchens were even getting like B ratings. And it was just like, really depressing, yeah. you know, like they were gross. It was disgusting. And so go on. Sorry. So then, so we had, um, I mean, it's kind of a silly story, but my, my mother had gone to a, um, a luncheon and she passed by a neighboring table. So not her own thing <laughs> and saw a cake and thought it was hilarious and beautiful and, and amazing. And the woman who I guess who had made that cake had dropped it off. And my mom said, Oh, that cake is great. I want to get a cake for my daughter-in-law, which is Melanie. <laughs> and, um, and got her information, and then she said, "Oh, well, my son, you know, has my son and daughter-in-law have a cookie business, and you know, Kimberly, this it was Kimberly Bailey, and she was just starting her thing." And I got her information, and I called her, and she she was really, really, really nice, and and um, supportive, supportive, and she had had she had just gone through breast cancer, and Melanie had had breast cancer, and we we had just you know kind of really bonded, but she wasn't looking for anything, and um, so months went by after that conversation and we had just seen probably the last of the grossest kitchens that we probably were going to have to rent. And as we're driving away and Melanie's crying, Kimberly <laughs> calls me in my car and says, Hey, I don't know if you're still looking for a kitchen, but um, mine is just built and I'm really looking to rent it out part-time in the mornings. Would you want to come see it? And we literally turned the car around <laughs> and went right to her, her place and cried even harder when we walked in because it was Gorgeous. It was gorgeous. You know, it's, it's, brand it's, new. <laughs> it's so it's so amazing. So like, there's two really key takeaways I think that, or three, you know, takeaways for entrepreneurs. Right. One is, you know, a couple minutes ago you were talking about how you <clears throat> during the strike you reached out to your network, and 
Um, you know, I think a lot of times people fail to remember that your network, based on your behavior, based on your interactions, based on previous experience, right? All the delicious things you made for people in the past, whether they were guests or, or friends of guests or neighbors or whatever the case was, that network doesn't go away just because there's some major change in your life, in your life that may seem, you know, like an unbelievably insurmountable challenge. Um, so when you've been with a company for 20 years and you leave that company, just because you had a divorce doesn't mean you lose all your friends. Right. And, you know, and, and so the ability to go to your network is massive. And the second is that your network is always expanding. And the way that to expand your network is through conversations and dialogue and interactions and, and letting people know what you're doing. I mean, if, if, if you're, I mean, it's your mom, right? And so, of course, your mom's telling everyone what about right. her, you know, smart son who not only is he a brilliant writer, but he also has this cookie business, right? right? I mean, she's, she's bragging at every party possible, probably. Um, <laughs> No, no. Uh, I mean, she would have preferred you to be a lawyer or a doctor. Yeah, but, she man. would have. <laughs> Mine too. She got Mine one too. of those. <laughs> yeah, she got a lawyer. Yeah. But, uh, but, but you know, this, this, um, this is about amplification of your message, and 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 again, you know, how does how does that lighthouse business become? How how do you expand the message? You do great work, and you become, uh, you know, a. a, a um, a constant representative of who you are and what you do. And, and that doesn't start the day you start your business. It started years and years and years ago and all those interactions. And so it's not surprising to me that you found these things when oh, you did. Thank you. I, I agree with you. And I think, by the way, as you were saying that, I was thinking how that translates to everything in life, even, um, you know, having been through cancer and 100%. knowing a lot of people who have been through diseases and things and finding doctors and getting help. It's so much about communication and sometimes just s telling some random person that you don't even know maybe about what you're going through can lead you to, you know, some other amazing thing. Like my dad happened to just randomly, this was in the 90s when I was first diagnosed, not to go on a, on a big tangent, but when I was first diagnosed with breast cancer, there was no internet. You know, it was just going to the libraries and bookstores to get information. And my dad happened to randomly mention to a business associate that he wasn't even that close to that I was going through breast cancer and I was only 30, you know, and, um, and, and my dad was not even like, you know, a guy who would be like chatty about that kind of thing, you know, and that guy happened to know like someone major in the breast cancer world who ran these breast centers and then put us in touch with this woman who like just came out of nowhere and like took me on as like her project and got me to the best oncologist who ended up saving my life and you know all of these things so I feel like that has been the same kind right. of thing for us and finding Kimberly was really amazing just because his mom happened to say hey are you renting out a commercial kitchen and um and we ended up becoming like best friend. She's like our family now. And she kind of mentored us and gave us an opportunity to see what it was like to be in a commercial kitchen, see if we felt like we could handle it. Because I was saying to Ross all the time, like we could never have our own kitchen. Like, I don't even know what equipment we need. You know, how do we know how to organize it and set it up? Well, being in her kitchen taught us all of that. And um, and gave us that opportunity until the point where we realized the demand just kept growing. So even when we couldn't we couldn't be in the kitchen on the weekends because she had a wedding cake business, so she needed to take over, and we were having to turn down business all the time. And um, finally, we're like, now what? We've been doing this five years. Um, the the baking was kind of overshadowing the writing at this point, and then it's like, do we uh, again go big or go home? Because like. Do we just go try to get our own kitchen or do we yeah. just shut the yeah, whole and thing it, down mean, and go back to our regular life? It's so so invaluable too. Like, you know, I mean, pride gets in the way a lot of times of like the necessary learning. Yeah. And the time you spent as like the understudy, you know, like if you yeah. will. Um, you know, being mentored, like, how do you use that 60 gallon mixer? <laughs> you know, right, is, exactly. is that what it is? I think that's what it is. Yeah. I've watched a couple of food channel. Uh, yeah, food exactly. Network, but, but, you know, I mean, just to, to learn all of those things, I mean, had you not done that, you know, and you just decided, oh, we're going to open our own brick and mortar, 
you wouldn't you probably would have bought the wrong equipment right you would have had stuff that was unnecessary you wouldn't have probably known how to order the right amounts of material you know like food right. stuff and you'd have waste and and uh, i think that <clears throat> sometimes entrepreneurs are are quick to jump in with two feet and they they sign bad leases they get into bad contracts they you know they end up costing themselves valuable time and effort and you know they're they're you know when you're learning, it's costing you so much money. And for you to be in that situation probably was invaluable to be able to actually build the confidence to say, okay, we're ready for that next leap. Oh, absolutely. I think I think that's the thing. Sometimes there's a tendency to think in whether it's, you know, starting a business or writing a script. Like it's so you you think of the end, right? You don't think of the process to get to the end. And it's it is so overwhelming, and I think there's there's no way that sitting here at our, in our home, you know, years ago when we we're talking about starting a cookie business, that we could have we could have done the whole thing. I think we had to do the baby steps, and we had to make mistakes on small on a small scale to realize, oh, this is how you ship a box of cookies across the country, or or even when we were kind of figuring out our colors and the logo and all of those things, even the flavors, you know, we got very lucky too, because when we sent out that email blast, initially, a friend of ours who was on it, sent it to a friend of hers who had a friend who had a, a restaurant in Santa Monica, a really small place called Blue Plate. That was the people My favorite key lime pie in the world. Yeah. yeah. Blue so Plate. Blue Plate was, and, and so Jen Morton, the owner of Blue Plate called me and said, Hey, you know, I got a an email from Rochelle who I didn't even know because she wasn't my friend. And she's Rochelle sent me this email and um, I heard you have cookies. I'd love to try it. Our, our kitchen's too small to bake and, you know, come on over. So I made a bunch of things and she said, well, I want them to be larger and this and whatever. And so I said, okay, yeah, great. We can do it. And we did it. We figured out how to make larger cookies and individually wrap them and 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 Make doing that, and yeah, yeah, we kind of figured out how to brand ourselves and what we wanted to look like and what we wanted people to think of, and try new flavors and say, oh, hey, look, I just made a, a you know a fruity pebbles cookie that did well, and I made you know something else and that didn't do well, and and just kind of honing that out to that audience was was also invaluable. Yeah, and it was sort of like free marketing for us because we would drop off the cookies and they'd keep them on their counter. So people, when they would go to pay their bill, they would see the cookies on the counter and then they'd buy it. And it was sort of like a great test market to see what people's reactions were. And they started, to, the customers liked the cookies so much, they were actually starting, we were told by the, a lot of the servers there that the customers were coming in just to buy the cookies sometimes. Uh, <laughs> not even just, you know, not you after were, the meal. You were in retail. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But that was really great because then when we finally did open, we did Blue Plate for a few years. And when we finally did open our shop, also in Santa Monica, we already had a local following from a lot of the locals who were going to Blue Plate and seeing all our cookies all the time. And then they're like, oh, my God, you opened a store. You know, they were really excited to be able to come in and try different things. Yeah. I was going to say the flip side, just as as kind of a, a lesson that we learned. The flip side to that is there was a gourmet market in Beverly Hills around the same time. I think that it heard about us from people at Blue Plate and um, they wanted to carry our cookies and we were so excited. Oh my God, look, another market wants to carry our stuff. But it was a really bad experience because unlike Blue Plate, um, where we would go twice a week, this market would buy cookies, a ton of cookies, and then we wouldn't hear from them for two weeks. And I would say, wait a minute, you're just ordering cookies now. Like what happened? Oh, well- you know, we we didn't sell them. We just sold the last one. I'm like, you can't sell a two-week-old cookie. That's going to taste terrible, you know? And so we started putting date labels on our cookies because we realized that if there was an expiration date, they couldn't sell old cookies, right? But then they started taking the labels off the cookie. So I, I think, again, it's all learning, but there are some good retail situations and some bad retail right. situations. Yeah, I mean, each and each of those steps, right? I mean, <clears throat> you either – there's no uh, – you know, I think – one of the things you learn really early on is there's no failure. There's there's success and there's learning. Right. And exactly. you've got to look at each of those situations and go, okay, well, you know, that might have cost us some money, but what did we learn from it? And how do we not make that mistake again? Right. right. I mean, this happens this happens all the time. People sign bad, 
you know, deals where they, you know, they have to lay out all the cash in order to have the product go to the market. And, you know, and then they end up getting, you know, all this, you know, re, you know, having to restock it. And um, I can't even imagine, you know, that kind of um, impact what it has economically to a small business. Just the, you know, you get so excited, you get a deal and then, you know, it's with Walmart and they put you out of business, right? right. Means you can't meet the demand or whatever else it is. Exactly. So I want to talk a little bit about your your actual store because the aesthetic um, is not lost, right? I mean, I think I think you guys from the ground up um, again had a real sense of what you wanted Cookie Good to be. So why don't you talk a little bit about that? So you learn all this stuff through the process, and now you're ready to open a brick and mortar. This is more than just the cookie standing it for yourself. You want to have an experience, a texture, a feeling. Um, what, what, what did you, what was, what is your vision? Like when you opened up cookie good, what did you want to find? What, what did you find? How did you, you know, deliver on that, on that vision? Well, I, I think, you know, we didn't really, again, we didn't have any design experience and we worked with an architect who wasn't really a designer. And I think there, there were a couple things when we, when we started building that were really important. Um, one was, you know, I grew up with a hostess factory like down the street from me. And I remember as a little kid going to the hostess like field place, you know, factory for field trips and just being able to look beyond that glass wall and see everything in play, you know, um, was magic to me. I mean, it's no, it's no, it, it's no surprise that, you know, that Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is one of my favorite all time <laughs> things because like it's magic, right? And so I knew that when we designed this space, I didn't want it to be separate from the kitchen. I wanted people to be able to walk right up to a window where you can look in and see the cookies being baked and see the the big mixer turning and the ingredients and really be part of of that process cuz again, I I say sometimes jokingly but but I think I'm pretty serious actually that I have the palate of a 6-year-old and I think that's where these flavors come from. And I think I think it's it's the same way that I experience a lot of life is, is that like, I, I just, it's fun for me and it's, it's just, it's just what I wanted. So I knew, and I fought a lot with our architect about, about how much glass there was going to be, but I just knew that I wanted no real division between the front space and the back. And I think even like, I mean, the subway tile gives it kind of that nostalgic feeling and the primary colors, right? This, you know, um, you know, what struck me when you walk in there, it's not just this massive glass case, which you can see almost in any bakery, right? With the cookies behind it, but you're right. You could see right through it. Um, and then you had that, the, the milk bubbler, right? Like, I need to know about like the milk bubbler. Like how did that the cookie milk. I got a lot of crap for that yeah. from, from both Melanie and Kimberly Bailey. Yeah. But uh, when I was trying that out. It's like I, it's like it's like the after milk from breakfast cereal. It's the right. greatest thing that's ever been created in, since the beginning of time. Thank you. Well, we we say it's we we have pre-dunked milk. Yeah. So like if you dunk your cookies a million times in milk, this is what you're going to get. And I, I think um, I just you know I, I've had cereal milk right, and I just I love that whole thing. I love I love the idea of it. And so I thought, well. Except a diabetic coma, right. you might go into immediately after drinking yeah, some. A little of it. bit, right. but I will say we do we do use low fat milk. I don't yeah, know if that, if that well, that's important. <laughs> yeah, but but anyway, but you know, I, I think. Um, well, you you know, we had been you had come up with this idea for cookie milk a long time ago, thinking right. you know, like like you were saying that that uh, milk at the end of the cereal bowl. And then um, he'd been kind of playing around with how he was going to do it. And then we went to Mama Fuku in New York, and they had the cereal milk. And they just do cereal, though. It's right. just cereal milk. But Ross had already been playing around with, like, you know, how can we do this with, like, cookies? And so we call it cookie milk. And we – so it's not just our cereal cookie flavors, but it's all of our cookie flavors. And, and, our, brownies. and our brownies, too, where he steeps them in the milk right. for a while and kind of does a little magic to it. And it makes it like a flavored chocolate. You know, it's like it's a, a, it's chocolate an amazing, milk on steroids. Is what it's an I amazing it. way also to like take the the cookies that are maybe like just past being able to be sold and right. like repurposing them, right? Instead exactly. of just throwing them in the trash. It's a brilliant. Yeah. Well, originally I was actually trying to, when I first started, I was actually just making, trying to make milk that had the flavor of our cookies, but not using our cookies. And then it was exactly that. I thought, well, wait, 
we're going to have all these cookies left over at the end of the day. Uh, what do we do with those? Or what do we do when you have a misshapen cookie? I didn't want to just get rid of the waste. So yeah, so it was repurposing that. And that idea also kind of led us to this other thing. I don't know if you tried, which is cookie corn, which is kind of um, our version of caramel corn, where we take this really fat, plump, great popcorn, and we make a caramel based on a cookie flavor, and then we cover it in cookie crumbs. And it's Take like, it. yeah, and it, it just gets extra crispy and crunchy and sweet. And um, I've not had that, but okay. I'm, I'm, I'll be there tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> it's really good. And, and you know, like that's one of those things that, that we just kind of like, you know, invented. Um, and it is awesome. Yeah. Which, by the way, you you probably ought to bottle the cookie good milk. Yeah, we want we're to. trying to figure that I, out. Actually, I you know I, I might know somebody that could help you with that. But but um we we talk about it offline. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, but I think I mean because uh, you know obviously you'd have to smell it in really small containers. But yeah, but it's it would be it's just it's just it's just remarkable. And I think the fact is that how much of it do you actually sell? We don't sell that much. There there are days where. People will come in and we'll sell like, you know, six cups of milk, and we're like, oh my god, <laughs> you know. And I tell Omar because Omar is our, our guy who who makes the milks every morning, and I'm like, Omar, we sold six today, but we give samples out all the time. You know, we've got those. And that's yeah. that's that I was just, that was actually my, what I was going to bring up is like the shot glass yeah. of cookie milk is it's just again it's like your extra. Um, and, and, you know, your staff there, every time I've ever come in, I, I want you to know that I have never been greeted by anybody who had a chip on their shoulder and attitude. Aww. Somehow you're able to bring in people that are connected to this mission. And it's like, like they are like pimping the cookie milk. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, here, yeah. you should try this. <laughs> you know, it's, it's awesome. It's, it's just part of the whole experience. Yeah. Oh, I'm so happy but that, to hear that. But Thank it, you. that should be like. Yeah. Like that that's the thing. We know we're we're dealing with cookies, right? And we want people, it should be a happy thing. I mean, you know, the, the crazy thing is as kind of a side story, we do a lot of cookies for uh, condolence calls and funerals, which seemed strange initially, but we got so many letters back from people who had had them or reports back from people who said we were at this funeral and it was so somber and then somebody opened up this box of cookies and it was like sunshine and the whole mood of the place shifted because then suddenly we're all together and we're looking at this one and what's this one and what is, oh, that one has a peanut, you know, <laughs> buttercup on it. And what is this one? And, you know, and, and I think like we know that we're, we're, we're dealing with cookies and, and it should be a light and happy and fun thing. And we want people to come into the shop and feel that and experience that it's, you know, but you know what? It's not, it's not, it's, it's, it's not just as easy as saying, well, you work at a cookie store. So you got to, you know, like employees, you should know if you're going to work here, this is your attitude. There's something that you guys are doing culturally there that's setting the stage. And it's probably my guess is it's, um, it, it's that you're demonstrating to them exactly how they should be behaving in interacting with clients. Because I'll tell you, um, I've had several experiences, one with a, um, a well-known cupcake um, business uh, in the same general vicinity as you are. You can use deductive reasoning. Yeah. Where, where I arrived at, I think they closed at seven o'clock. I arrived at five minutes to seven with my daughter. My daughter at the time was maybe three or four years old and she wanted one of their cupcakes and we got to the door and they like literally it was like five minutes to seven and they had locked the door and closed it and they had all of the cupcakes still in the you know still they weren't put away yet they were still out whatever the case was and I, I like looked at my watch and I looked at them and they, were, they looked at me and they kind of you know did the shrug the shoulders like we're closed and I was like my <sighs> daughter's here. Right. She's three. Like you've got all these cupcakes. Like what you should do, dumbass, is you should open the door and give away. Give right. me the ones that you're going to throw in the garbage exactly. in 15 minutes. Right. But these Which people, they they couldn't be bothered. They couldn't yeah. be bothered. And right. it was just it, that's a very different attitude than I would imagine I would get at Cookie Good. Yeah. Well. Okay, that is a good example of, I think, just having the wrong employees. Because I'm sure if the owner was there, they would have been horrified, you know? And, 100%. Yeah. And and we, um, yeah, we've had discussions like that with our employees a lot about, um, about 
that kind of thing. Like if somebody comes in at the last minute, you know, like how to deal with that. Or sometimes, and I will admit, sometimes we've had some fights about opening up earlier because a lot of times we don't open till 11 and the door says closed, but it's unlocked because we um, have our employees kind of coming in and out. And so sometimes people will just walk in and we're not ready yet to sell. And sometimes it's a little challenging when you're not ready to start selling. But other times we're like, you know what? You know, we're just going to do it because this person has to go to work and they're on their way someplace and they just want a cookie and it's not a big deal, you know? Well, that's why we're here. Yeah. And that's why we're here. We're here to sell cookies and we're here to accommodate people. And for us, our two biggest things are obviously it's always about the customers and making them feel welcome and happy and comfortable because I've also been to retail stores where you walk in and, you know, sometimes it's maybe a young person behind the counter who just isn't trained in how to deal with customer service. And it it can really ruin the experience for you if they're snobby or snotty or just not welcoming. I I think this is really, this comes down to hiring and and figuring out your profile on the front side. Right. right. Like, like finding the right, the right people. Like, how do you find the right people? Like how, and, and I know, I know that you from time to time, we've all have challenges with people. We think, you know, sometimes the best, um, you know, the best performance that an employee ever has is in an interview and right. then it all goes downhill from there. But how do you select the right people? It's really, 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 really hard. I think the hardest part, um, just kind of on a, on a daily basis is, is employees. And I mean, we've got really, really great employees. We have an amazing staff. But um, but it is. It's really hard to find. It's really, really hard to find yeah. people. And we uh, we do a lot of interviews actually off of Indeed. Um, that's how we usually put an ad up when we're looking for someone. And you know, when when we interview, we Ross and I do the interviewing, and we spend and our manager Janet too a lot, and we really try to spend a long time with them. A lot of times, we'll spend like an hour most of the time just talking because I feel like you you need to talk for a while to get kind of get a sense of who the person is and where they come from, and you know how you can just sometimes tell right away when you connect with someone. Um, other times, it takes a little bit longer. But one of the things that we do tell people when we interview, and and maybe why this has helped us a little bit, is really besides the customers coming first, the employees really come first for us. Like, if we don't have happy people working for us, how are we going to be able to sell a product that makes people happy? You know, like you are going to spend the majority of your day at work wherever you. How go. do you bring How do you bring value to your employees? Right, you're in a you're in a retail and bakery space, right? I mean, it's it, I can't imagine the wages are, you know, right. you're not paying people a hundred grand a year right. to, you know, right. work in the kitchen or to sell cookies. Like how, wh- where do you, where do you focus on the value for them? Um, you know what? Well, I mean, other than all the cookies you can eat. You know what? And I just had this conversation with one of our employees who's now been here for the longest, like four and a half years since we opened the shop. But I was saying, you know, I know it's hard because like you said, the salaries are not super high paying in the, in the kitchen, but we really think of our employees as family. And for us, we're very much into sharing the wealth. So the more we, the more successful we are and the more money we can make, the more we want to share it with our employees. We give bonuses. At Christmas time, I think a lot of little retail places do like, you know, a bottle of wine or a gift card or something, but we really give real bonuses to our employees because they work their butts off, you know, especially during the holidays. We give raises you know, regularly. And, um, and we, we just, we're so appreciative. We are like a family and we also tell them that like, we have a bigger vision for going bigger and we want to take them with us if they want to come. And if they do, there's going to be a payoff for that. It's not just like you're going to just be making an hourly wage for the rest of your life. My goal is to be able to put everybody on salary and right. Have, right. And you know, could, you could run your own cookie good, you know, location. And right, I mean, there's right. to me, to right. me, the, the, by the way, I, I see like when I, the first time I walked in there and every subsequent time I think about it, I, this is a brand that should be completely national and it should be, it should Thank be bigger <laughs> than like, I, I don't know that I've ever had a better like experience. And there's a lot of, you know, companies out there, cookie companies, and I'm not just blowing smoke, right? Like, I mean, um, I'm, I believe in candor. And so, 
Um, you know, when, when you think about this versus the other places that make the giant cookies or whatever, the, there's not even a comparison. Right. Not even, it's just the whole feel and vibe and aesthetic. And I would imagine that that is appealing to some. Do you, I mean, you know, do you seek people that want to become bakers that have aspirations, you know, has Top Chef helped you um, or, or, or chopped or any of those other things? Has that helped you find those people that have aspirations maybe to go into the space? Funny, because those are like two of our favorite shows, yeah. but go but on. I would say no. I mean, I, I don't think, I, I think that those people who have those, you know, who, who want to be chefs, they don't. You know, cookies are probably the low, low, low man on that totem pole. Yeah. You know, they, they want to make, if they want to be a baker, they want to do laminated doughs and they want to do like beautiful cakes and fine. They want to be duff. Right. Yes. Right. They, they, and we're definitely, you know, we in our own way can, can duff it out, but, mm-hmm. but you know, it's not, it's not the same. You know, what we have had a lot is, um, just kind of as a side thing about employees, some of our best people, I think, are people who came to us and said, hey, I'm a huge fan of your your product and I would love to work here. Interesting. And we always find that those people, um, like, they get us, you know, and- Yeah. And, and when cold, we- It's a cultural fit. Right. Yeah. And I, and I think also, one other thing that we do is when we put an ad, this is also, sorry, an aside, mm-hmm. but when we put an ad out on Indeed, for example, we say who we are, what we're looking for, right? But at the bottom of the ad, we say, if you want to be part of our team, please send us a letter and tell us about yourself and what appeals, you know, what, what part of cookie good is appealing to you, right? Like why you want to work here. Right. And and um, I would say 98% of the people who apply don't, and we don't consider them. And then this last round, we were hiring. You can't even read directions. Like right. We're, right. There, well, there's a the recipe thing. to follow here. Attention to detail. Exactly. Well, yeah. Because the whole thing, the, the, when we when we put the ad out, it's like so. It's all different versions of saying attention to detail. Exactly. Yeah. And so if they can't, and, and then in this last round, because we're hiring a new office assistant now, in this last round, I you know we have that, and then I literally put underneath it in caps: if you do not send us <laughs> a letter, we will not consider your resume. And. Yeah. And so the people who write, who who will do it, first of all, care more and they pay attention more. And um, and and also, you know, we hear what they think, you know, right. and what they like about cookies right. or, you know, whatever. But can I, and I wanted to add one more thing, if that's okay. Um, like another thing that's worked really well for us are a couple of employees who started out doing one thing and right. then became another, like one, this our head baker now, Omar, started out, he used to work at a beach club and he was just looking for a little bit of more part-time work. And we were in need of one extra cleaning person just once a week. And he came and filled in. It was also word of mouth through a friend who ran the beach club, said, I can send you a guy if you need someone. And I'm like, great. We just liked him instantly. He worked one day a week for a long time. And then because he was so good, we started giving him different things to do, like prepping uh, ingredients and all kinds of things. And he slowly started taking on more days. He worked for us full time and then would go to the beach club full time and was, you know, had crazy hours, but he wanted to do it. And then one day he says, you know, I would really love to learn how to bake. And we're like, really? And so we started to teach him how to bake. And now he's our head baker. And this is Omar. Yeah, I, mean, I, think, I think there's... Um- you know, this, this, um, I, you know, I don't know if you, um, have thought about it, but I think that there's a real opportunity, um, to create this apprenticeship environment. And I, I know you probably already do, but, you know, I, I, something that I talk about in the book a little bit is that, you know, we need to stop measuring ourselves about how long people stay and, and actually measure ourselves by what people say about us when they leave. Right. And, I like that too. And this, this ability for, you know, I mean, even though, cookies may seem like the low rung on the totem pole, how much can they learn about running a, you know, a, a commercial kitchen? How much can they learn about you know, food purchasing? How much can they learn about operations? How much can they learn about you know, these other elements of you know, running you know, a food business? Um, you know, beyond, beyond just the, the baking of the cookie, um, they understand the, the, the culture and the customer service and all these other things that are so, you know, you, your value is, is tremendous. 
um, because you're, you're, there's something, there's something really remarkable about what you're doing. And then, you know, the next step is, is, is certainly, um, expansion and, and talk, talk to me a little bit about that. Like, what do you have ideas or plans for expansion or franchise or, or what do you, what do you, uh, what's, what's the, what's the vision for you guys? I mean, obviously there's something that we think about and talk about all the time. And kind of like I said before that, we're the kind of people who talk a lot and we just need to be pushed up against a wall to be propelled to that next step. And I think we're, we don't know. I mean, we know that there's more we want to do. Um, but at the same time, I think we also feel like as much as we know, and as much as we've learned these last 10 years, right. Um, 11 years, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that, that there's so much more to go. It seems like going to the next step for us is an even bigger shift than leaving our home and going to a commercial kitchen or leaving a commercial kitchen and opening up our own shop. Yeah, there's no doubt. Right. There's, and, no, yeah. there's no doubt. And, and, and I mean, because taking your business to scale, right? You go from you go from a hobbyist um, to running a business. There's a big difference between being a cookie baker and owning a cookie store. And there's right. a whole other leap to scaling it and, you know, systematizing every aspect of the business so that, you know, it, it operates when you're there, when you're not there, right. Creating this consistent product across, across geography and across space. And, um, when we, when we first designed the space too, I think we kept that in mind a lot. Like we thought, are we going to do this just to have like one cookie shop and do this until we're, you know, really old or is this to kind of build a little bit of a cookie empire, you know? And so we had that in our head once we decided we were going to build a shop and we tried to purposely uh, design it in a way that we thought could be like a prototype so that it could be replicable because branding wise, it just would make sense to have them all look the same or pretty similar. Right. And so that was definitely always on, in our, in the back of our heads. But again, going in, we thought, well, let's just see if we can figure out how to run, run, run one store without screwing it up, you know? Um, so we're, and we definitely have, thank God, done it pretty successfully. But like Ross said, now we do have to go to the next level. And I think we've been talking about it for the last couple of years, but we, we've had kind of a little, a few setbacks, you know. But there's always, but, there's, always yeah. a, there's always a reason. You know, yeah, not- there's always a reason. There's always some kind of family crisis or health crisis or something that's been going on that's kind of held us back a little bit. But now I think we're, we're thinking like, what are we going to do? And I think, I think good business owners maybe also know when they need help and we know that we're not necessarily the people to do it on our own now to go to the next level. Like I think now we have to bring some help in. We just got to figure out the best kind of help and the best way to do it. I think that's a, it's, it's smart to have enough self-awareness to kind of go, okay, where are our gaps? You know, what do, what do we really, if we want to take this to the next level, like how do we get there? What do we do? What are the ways? And, And you figure out, you find your lanes, right? You find what you're really, what you really love and what you're really good at. And, and, you know, when it, when it becomes viable at the next level, you get the luxury of being able to hire it done. You know right. what I mean? Like, oh, I don't like bookkeeping. Let me hire someone to do bookkeeping. Right. Like, right. You know, right. and I think a lot of times what happens is businesses, instead of getting big, they get small. Um, right. They're reluctant to hand some of that stuff off because they, you know, they feel like, oh, oh you know, no one's going to ever do it as good as me or care as much as me. And what right. you've got to find is the areas in the business that, where adequate is enough, right? Like, right. like it's not customer facing, it's not experiential, it's not employee focused. Like, where are the where are those things? It's like the food ordering or the you know or the you know the the payroll or you mm-hmm. know those types of things. Um, but I listen. I I think uh, I think there's going to be a lot in this in the future for Cookie Good. And if you ever want someone to be on an advisory committee, I would yes. I would <laughs> welcome the opportunity. I we think it's it's awesome. It. It's awesome. Yes, we will be calling you yeah, when off, we hang up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah offline. <laughs> yeah, no, we have, we have a lot of ideas and and just about how to do more Cookie Goods and also our cookie corn, which you'll, you'll, we'll see you tomorrow. You'll have, but but that really is something that can be sold in markets and is shelf stable and is totally awesome and different. And, and, you know, it's, it's unique. So that, that's another thing that we think about doing too is, you know, anyway, but, but we, we need a grown up in the room. Yeah. We need some help. 
Well, I, listen, it's been it's been such a great, um, enjoyable conversation to to get to know with you guys, and and I hope uh, you know in in another couple of years we're going to be able to have you come back again and tell you about all the advancements and, <laughs> and everything else, all the things that have happened since then. But you know, in the interim, where can everyone find you on social media? What's your give us your address? All those places where they can buy your great, amazing cookies. Um, go you for can- it. You can see um, amazing pictures. Uh, <laughs> no, you can see the pictures. You can see, see everything that we do um, online at cookiegood.com. And you can order online. We've got a pretty fun website where you can literally take a box and build it yourself and put as many or as few of all of our flavors <laughs> that are in stock as possible. Um, so that's fun. Um, and then you, we're Cookie Good LA on Instagram and Facebook. Right. Um, and we're in Santa Monica on Wilshire. 2448 Wilshire and come and visit us and taste some milk and buy some cookies. We also have a thing called Feel Good Friday. And on Friday afternoons or Fridays all day, we we give out a free cookie. But if you have to follow us on Instagram and you'll see what like the secret word of the day is. And if you come in and say that word, then you'll get a free cookie. So worth the trip for more than just the free cookie, but for the return to childhood, I'm telling you when you bite into that cocoa crispy cookie, you are turned back to that kind of, you know, not quite chocolate, not quite, I don't even know what that flavor is, but it is (laughs) magical. Um, guys, I, I absolutely, I, I adore your brand. I adore what you're doing and you guys continue to shine bright. Um, I'm, it's going to be fun to watch. Thank Thanks you, for being guys. with us. So Thanks much. so much. Thanks for having us. 